1: I am Paris.
2: Hey everyone, it's Paris and we are back with another episode of I am Paris. Today we are talking about the present with the queen, Ultra Nate. Hi queen.
3: Happy to be back. Let's get it. Let's
2: do it. it. So our shared love for nightclubs has inspired us to start a podcast, and you are at the top of my list for hosts because of your legendary career. How did you feel when this opportunity came to you?
3: Oh, well, when I finally got up after, <laughs> in the process of reading the email, I think I kind of lost it and just passed out for a second, I'm sure somewhere in there, <laughs> Um Yeah, I I blinked for a while and then maybe at some point I was like, it's probably a good idea to breathe right about now. (laughs) You know, it was so crazy. It was so crazy. I, I still remember it like it was yesterday and it's like in slow motion in my head because it's, it's, it just is exemplary of how amazing the music business is. And no matter how bizarre or crappy things might feel on the surface like i've always believed that any moment around any corner there is some amazing experience and it has consistently been the case throughout my career and so i've just kind of always trusted that the universe got it you know just um keep doing what you do representing the music that you feel good about and the universe will conspire to make it work so it was really so bizarre when I read that email introduction, um, this, just the connectivity of how music brings people together. And, you know, our worlds are like, we're so far apart, but yet so similar in so many ways in in that love and appreciation and experiences with nightclub culture and music. And so it just really, like I said, it was um, confirmation of like, this is a very powerful medium of what I do. And it was amazing to be recognized for it, um, to be seen and appreciated in that way. Um, and so, yeah, I was like, what? Let's, what is, let's go. <laughs> yes. You know, I mean, immediately, like, when do we start? <laughs> let's do it, yeah. I
2: was so happy when I heard that you said yes. I was like, yes, <laughs>
3: let's go. Oh my gosh, yeah. and And just the concept was really, engaging and beautiful. And those stories need to be told. And um, yeah, it was just exciting all the way around. I I, I loved everything about like how this all came together. You know, when you're in in the music business for so long, you have so many crazy experiences. And um, you're used to like, okay, people saying, well, we want to do this or that. And then it kind of stalls. And it's a lot of hurry up and wait. And there was none of that. And it was just like, okay, boom, we're ready. Let's get on with it. You know, and that's how I am. I'm so very that, you know, very like, let's do it, you know? So it was really refreshing from that standpoint as well to work with a team that was like, yep, it's got it lined up. Let's hit it.
2: I love that. I love that's how we roll at 1111 Media. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. We do what we say and- Live <laughs> <laughs> totally. Totally. Did they send you my book at this point, or did they send it after?
3: they didn't send me the book at that point? But they did tell me in the email about the passage that was in the book that was coming. Oh, yeah. They didn't give me a lot of details. Yeah, yeah, because this was January yes. 25th to be exact.
2: Love it. <laughs> <laughs>
3: And, um, yeah, but they did mention, like, in your upcoming book, you know, Paris, you know, talks about the Staten And I was like, what? Are you <laughs> kidding me? Yeah, I, I was tripping pretty hard. Yeah, I was tripping.
2: Yes. A little girl in me would be like, what?
3: Yeah, know. it was very that. It was very that. And I couldn't wait to tell my son, you know, because it's always about, like. He's gonna bug out. He's gonna love this, you know. What did he say? I still, I'd still love to make him happy, you know. So much. He was over the moon. He couldn't believe it, and he was just over the moon. And he's been, you know, just watching this whole process from a distance, and he's just been so proud, you know. And that's that's really all you can ask from your kids. It's just like, you know, you want to share these experiences. You want to, you know, be, you know, a, a model for them. And you also want to see them, you know, flourish and be happy and be proud of you. So, you know, it's been really cool that way as well.
2: I can't wait for memories like that with my son.
3: Mm -hmm. It's coming. It's going to be beautiful. Can't
2: wait. How many children do you have?
3: Just one. Just the one. Just the one you met.
2: Boy mom. It's the best.
3: Yeah. Yeah, I know. I'm so bad. I'm so bad. (laughs) But, you know, he's my he's my only boy. He's my only baby and he'll always be a baby, even though he's a big baby now. But he's 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 my dude. I love
2: that. Yeah, I feel like everyone always says that the love between a son and a mom is like no other.
3: Oh, yeah, it's, it's going to be legit. Little, little baby Phoenix is going to be legit. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Can't wait till he's grown up. How many of the clubs featured in the new podcast were you familiar with or have you been to?
3: Well, you know, I was familiar with just about all of them uh, except maybe two. Um and having been, and as far as going to any of the to, there were two in the whole list that I had actually been been to and been a part of, spent time in, um or performed and or performed. Um it was two out of the 12. But I pretty much knew 10 out of the 12 and all the stories and the history of them, but not as in depth as what I learned doing, you know, doing the series.
2: And do you have any favorite stories or episodes from the series?
3: Oh, that's so hard. That's really hard. I mean, these were, these were so well done. The team that researched this information and put these, these shows together, they did such an amazing job. But if I had to, nail it down to one I think um I think it would have to be it would have to be space Ibiza Ibiza because because I lived so much of everything that was talked about in that series um in that particular show um and it was so close and personal to me Um, that would definitely be my favorite one. And it still brings tears to my eyes when I think about like that moment, because it was like, oh my gosh, this is such an iconic club Mm -hmm. and it's ending. And and we knew, because I was in residency there the the summers before that, but we knew that there was a very strong possibility that it would not be able to continue. And we knew that they wanted to continue, but they may not be able to and so every summer those le- those couple summers before the the ending came i would just try to like slow down and take in everything and really absorb it and remember and capture these memories and capture the feeling and and the visuals like just really hold on to it all because i knew like this moment is fleeting and this is going to be really special this is this is history in the making and it's it's never going to happen again you know So I I do appreciate at least having that knowledge because I was able to take stock in everything that was happening in in a really deep and special way.
2: Yeah, I was actually at the closing party, the last party they ever did Mm -hmm. in space. Mm -hmm. And I just remember everyone in the dance were like crying, like yeah, they were playing one of these songs. I don't remember. It was like in the morning time, like maybe like eight in the morning or something. (laughs) And everybody in the dance was- The last
3: song was Angie Stone wish I didn't miss you so much and wish I didn't miss you anymore. And that was definitely, I was watching online because I think I was on the road somewhere and yeah, that was like, everyone was in tears Mm -hmm. watching as well around the world. It
2: was pretty special. We will miss you space.
3: (laughs) Yeah, definitely. Iconic. But I also have to say, you know, I was, I was really engaged on the story of uh, Africa Shrine as well and the political activism and the, just the, um, the amount of, of perseverance that happens in that story, you know, as I was reading through, I was like, okay, surely this is going to be it. Like, they're not going to be able to come back from this. And lo and behold, you know, keep coming back fighting, keep coming back fighting, you know, just persevere. So that one was pretty, pretty special as well.
2: Can't wait to hear that one.
1: Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month. No matter what kind of entertainment you love, addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A and E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah!
4: just the feeling of warm sand in between your toes and a fruity drink in your hand. The ones with the little umbrella. Refresh your home to feel like an all-inclusive vacation by getting Clorox Sentiva, Also available in grapefruit and lavender scents at a nearby retail store.
2: Was there a story in the series that really surprised you?
3: You know, I, did, I had no idea... On the first episode, the story of the techno of techno evolving and Shay Damier, I had no idea of his input and the role that he played in that. And I was gagging the whole time I was reading the stories. I'm like, how did I not know all this? Like I've been so adjacent to all of this, and how did I not know like his contributions to this? A whole genre of music. So that was really surprising to me. and I, I love the way that the stories are put together and the fact that they layer things um, they they show, you know, a lot of the you know the connectivity and the humanity of what cup culture is. And that's what makes them really, really special. So there's a lot of different layers, not only just about like who how we like to party, but also who these people were. And what their passions were, what their life was, and how it affected their, these people, and the sacrifices that were put into it. Um, there's there's so many layers woven into these stories, um, the music genres that were born out of them, the the icons that were created out of them. Like there's there's a lot of. A, a lot of places where things intersect that you you didn't realize until you look at the totality of everything. So it's really, it's really amazing the way to, it was put together. I think by story 12, like people are going to be like, Oh my God, it can't be over. Are you serious?
2: <laughs> <laughs> Is there a club that you would like to explore for next time?
3: Oh man, there are so many clubs around the world that I've, I've been to. Um, Ooh, that's that could be a very long list. I mean, there's like there's ministry, um, in in here in the in London, ministry uh, heaven. To go back further, there's parties like High on Hope. Ah, uh, the loft uh, was was amazing with Paul Trouble Anderson. Um, and on the home side, on the home front, Zanzibar in New Jersey was very impactful. It's the reason that I have a record deal, even. Um, because what Tony was doing at that point in time was bringing the attention from major labels to this underground style of music that was being created in basements and moving crowds in the club. Um, and a lot of artists like myself ended up being signed to major labels based on what was being played in by Tony Humphries in, at Club Zanzibar. Um, there was, uh, let me think, Universe, in San Francisco. Um that was huge, um, really impactful to West Coast, West Coast club culture. Uh there was catch one in LA for many years. Tracks in DC. Uh the list could go on. <laughs> <So> there was <laughs> there was vinyl in New York that was the home of shelter on one night and and Danny Tanaglia's night, I believe it was his Be Yourself party. Um, the next night, there was Junior at Sound Factory.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Um, there was Underground Network at Sound Factory Bar. in New York. I mean, yeah, the, the list could go on. And then we can go over to Italy, to Red Zone, which is a huge, massive club. Amazing for many, many years. In, in the south of Italy, in Riccione, there was a club called uh, Cocorico that was very impactful back in the day and people loved it and would drive for miles to come and party there. Um, yeah. There's, there's a lot. Yes. There's been a lot, to still, lots there's of a lot still out there. Yeah.
2: <laughs> so let's talk about pride. I'm mm-hmm. so happy and honored that we got to perform together at Fonda, my first ever live concert. And thank mm-hmm. you so much for doing that with me for
3: Oh, it was wonderful! It was wonderful. I was I was so happy. I was doing WeHo Pride that week. It all just really worked out perfectly. And um, and thank you. That was very gracious to have have me join you on stage for your first performance. I know you had a lot of moving parts going on, and, and that's always that always makes things really tricky and nervous, nerve wracking when you're like you know trying to like suss out all these these different details and energies and all the people and, you know, all the production value around everything. And, and um you know, there was a lot of love in the building Mm -hmm. and everyone came to have a good time. And that's really at the end of the day, what it's all about, like just really beautiful, warm energy. And everyone came to support you, Mm -hmm. you know, they they came to, to give you their A game and you gave them your A game. And that's really what it's, what it's about. It's really a reciprocal relationship when you perform for an audience.
2: Oh yeah. The love in the room was just like, such a like special feeling like I just I was like crying at certain points I was just like so happy and just felt just like Mm -hmm. it's just like an indescribable feeling just and I love my fans so much and they loved you so much so that was just so cool and I love my song yeah it's inspired by you're free so I was like that would be so awesome if she sang this with me
3: no, I loved it. Are you kidding? I'm a pop kid as well. And I loved it. I was like, let's do it. Yeah, this is cute. Let me get it. <laughs> Where do I come in? Let me get yes. it.
2: <laughs> I was so nervous. Were, were, do you ever get nervous when you perform?
3: Oh, gosh, yes. Always. Forever and ever. But, you know, it's it's a different kind of nervousness. Um, over time, you know, conditioning takes over. And so the nervousness just becomes fuel. Yeah. Um, I've always visualized, I think, um, what I want the show to be. So I, I see the room, I hear the music, I what I want to do, what I want to sing. I visualize it all. and um, And that's the intention that I work from. And then I just kind of approach it like, you know what? The very worst things can happen when I go on stage. The mic cannot work. My voice could go wonky or... You know, I could have a wardrobe fail or or whatever, but it's not going to end me. This moment is not going to end me. It's not going to make me and it's not going to break me. And that kind of frees you up, you know, a lot to just let go of that fear and enjoy yourself and just approach it with joy because it's like every opportunity you get to be on stage is another moment to impact someone, to share your joy with someone else. And so that I let that override the nervousness.
2: I'm going to think about that next time because I get so, I just get so nervous.
3: Yeah, it's just fear. It's just fear. And then you have to just think of it like, okay, but what am I afraid of? Am I afraid of like things not working? Am I not afraid? Am I afraid of like people not enjoying what I'm presenting and giving me bad reviews or bad energy? And you release yourself from that. And it's just like, okay, well somebody in that room is going to like it. You know what I mean? If there's one person in there, somebody's going to like it and it's going to be okay. I'm going to get through this moment. And again, it's not going to make or break me. It's going to be okay.
2: Yeah. I feel like as soon as I get out there and like people are screaming and the the music turns on, then all of that just like melts away. It's just like leading up to it. I like psych myself up.
3: Totally yeah, you got to give yourself give yourself license to make mistakes. That's the biggest gift I was ever given um, from one of my vocal producers from Danny Madden is a lesson he taught me very early in life is to give yourself grace. you know, when we are high achievers, we also have a high expectation of ourselves on things and it becomes unrealistic. So give yourself a pass to make mistakes and to say it's okay to it's okay to make a mistake. And then, you know, if something happens that doesn't work out just kind of the way that you want it, it doesn't feel tragic. And you don't let the fear paralyze you.
2: I was like in New York and this it was just so hot. How hot was it? (laughs) It's always
3: hot that week. It's always so hot that week. I've never been there on that
2: week. I was literally, I was like melting and performing Mm -hmm. at Central Park for the first ever Pride they did there, which was just so legendary and iconic. But it was just hot. So I was so nervous yeah. with that. I'm like, oh my God, my hair, my makeup, <laughs> this outfit. I'm like melting. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so he is know. one thing. And I it's hate. so
3: weird because it's like, you know, people expect you to be perfect. Like they expect everything to be flawless, like they see in pictures and these very static um images that they see you. They expect it all to be like controlled in that way. And when you perform live, it's not as that as controlled it can be controlled to some degree but it can't completely be controlled and so it's the things that you can't control that kind of wig you out (laughs) wig you out a little bit like it's excessively hot and I'm gonna sweat my eyelashes off and that's gonna be a problem (laughs) you know but you've gotta you've gotta just be able to laugh at yourself and be okay with it and know that there's a lot of goodwill for you out there that's what I always think about the most like there's a lot of people out there that love me that love what I do that, that love my music and those are the people I need to tune into and, and they're going to get me through this.
2: Yeah. I just literally started saying it to everyone on the mic. And then I don't know if it was the heat or something, but like one of the decks like locked or and it wouldn't, I mm-hmm. couldn't like load the song into it. So I was like, just looking at my yeah. team, like, can somebody fix this? So then I like had to go on the mic. I'm like, hey guys, like, I don't know what's happening, but only one of my decks is working. <laughs> yeah. And then they fixed it. Thank yeah. God. But the audience, I think, appreciated just like being honest and just being real. And after the show, so many people came out to me and they're like, that was the best set ever. And like, you were just so amazing. I love how you just were so real with us. And they just appreciated that.
3: Oh, yeah. People, the people are always going to appreciate that authenticity because they want to, they want to feel your humanity. So they're going to be rooting for you. Like I said, there's so much goodwill out there and that's what you really need to focus on. So that really kind of removes the nervousness. Like we want to be, we want to be perfect because we have a high level of expectation for ourselves. Mm-hmm. And um, we, we just have to give ourselves over to the moment, yeah. you know?
2: And there's nothing like partying on with pride because pride is like, everybody's just having so much fun. A
3: great time. Everybody's having a blast, yeah. you know, it's the best, it's the best party in the world. Like it's just a worldwide party continually. Pride season is is epic.
2: It really is. I love it. The energy is just like another level.
4: Just the feeling of warm sand in between your toes and a fruity drink in your hand. The ones with the little umbrella. Refresh your home to feel like an all-inclusive vacation by getting Clorox Sentiva, Also available in grapefruit and lavender scents at a nearby retail store.
2: Hi, this is Paris Hilton. Some of the best times of my life have been spent inside of nightclubs, singing, dancing, and being free to truly be myself. And now I'm the executive producer of a new show, the history of the world's greatest nightclubs. I wanted a show that represented freedom, joy, and hope. And there is no one better to host than someone who has inspired me for so many years with
3: her musical talent. I'm Ultra Tay, and I've been in the music industry for three decades. I'm a singer, songwriter, and musician. And now I'm inviting you to join me on this global nightclub journey. We'll dive into the origins of genres that broke the industry and uncover the stories of legendary DJs all through the eyes of the people who partied at the height of club culture. Listen to the history of the world's greatest nightclubs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
2: You are such a gay icon, and you also really support the community. Why is this so important to you?
3: Well, the the LGBTQIA plus community has always been down for me. They've always had my back. Um, You know, when I started in this industry and continually, I've always felt like the underdog, you know, being a woman, first of all, being a woman of color and now being a woman well beyond 25. I'm not supposed to still be here, according to the way the industry is is you know, shaped. And the community has always supported me. They've always supported the music. They've always seen me and they always got it. Um, from the audiences that I've been in front of to the people behind the scenes that I work with, the LGBTQIA community has always been in my sphere and has supported me in so many different ways from artists that I work with, with music, producers, DJs, hair makeup glam people photographers stylists you know what have you like every facet Mm -hmm. of this industry there have been people from the community that have gone above and beyond many times through the years to make sure that I am presented in the best light Mm -hmm. and so you know I've always appreciated that I've always loved that I've always loved how giving the community is um, I've loved how they appreciate music, how they have let me express myself in so many different ways under the 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 broad umbrella of dance. Um you know, it's just it's just been a gift that keeps on giving. it's It's been a, a wonderful reciprocal relationship where we know and understand each other. And they let me, you know, fully express myself aesthetically however I want. It. I want to change my hair. I want to do some different makeup thing. I want to wear some kooky outfit. You know, you've got license in in this in this genre of music to do that because the gay community is so you know part of this whole culture. You know, so it's it's an amazing thing to be to be in it.
2: I agree. It's so creative. So much fun. So free. So just there wouldn't be the type of fashion and music industry without this community, 100%. Mm -hmm. Nightclubs and nightlife are such a big part of the community and create such sanctuaries. What were some of the most important stories told in the series?
3: Um, I think when we talked about the AIDS epidemic hitting, how that impacted people's lives on a personal level, but also how the community came together in these spaces, these club spaces became ground zero for supporting the community, for getting information out, for getting access to medicine, um, and all the and all the things. Like I, re- I clearly remember during that period in Baltimore, in Clubland, where I was, the impact hitting there and seeing people disappearing yeah. suddenly. Um, And many of them, you know, again, from the LGBTQIA community and were friends of mine, very beautiful, young, vibrant, talented, extremely creative people suddenly gone in mass. And, um, you know, I I think it was really important how those particular stories that talked about those periods, how each of those uh, clubs represented for their community and stood up and fought the backlash that was also going on politically um, with HIV. Um, so again, that's like another intersection of what these stories are about is the political activism that was going on, you know, the very real world implications of this culture. It's not, it wasn't just, you know, I want to go out and party and dance until the sun comes up and and I'm tripping the light fantastic and disco balls all night. Like there were very real world things going on that were impacting people's lives. And those things are talked about in depth. Um, And it humanizes, again, it humanizes everyone that was a part of that situation and that particular era. And these, these stories do a really amazing job to bring that to light and and help people and put them back in that moment and help them understand what what it was in that moment and how it evolved and how it still impacts things to this day, actually.
2: Yeah. That part that episode made me just so emotional. I was crying listening to that.
3: Yeah, it's it's pretty deep. You know, I in Baltimore I was part of the House of Revlon, the Baltimore chapter. And a lot of them were were my good friends and a lot of them were very instrumental with my very first time ever performing on stage um, for Basement Boy Night. Basement Boys were my first original producers and um, they had a club night at Fantasy and, you know, my queens, they did my hair, they did my makeup, you know, they made a little tiny band aid dress for me to wear, <laughs> you know. And, um, you know, and they, they all just joined in like it, like a family and it really was a family. And it's like, you know, everyone was invested in my show Mm -hmm. and, um, and it was amazing. And they were all really beautiful, stunning, creative people. And then they were all gone. So, you know, there's, there's the, the real world implications here. And that really is an important part that's talked about in these, in these series Yeah, it's
2: such a powerful series, and I'm just so proud of you, and I'm so excited for everyone to hear it.
3: Me too. Let's go. July 13th. Hello. July
2: 13th, (laughs) everyone. So in the series, you talk about some of the most legendary DJs in the world, Carl Cox, Larry LeVan, Frankie Knuckles, and more. Who did you really look up to when you started as a DJ?
3: Wow. So by the time I started DJing 20 years ago, I had already been in club culture for For well over ten years at that point, so I've grown up listening to DJs for eons, and I think they were already shaping my ears before I even attempted to put the first needle to the record. So I'd have to say, you know, definitely the influence of Larry and Frankie was already there because that was kind of the fabric of the club culture I came from. They built the template. Um, You know, they were like basically they've been like gods in our scene. Larry had been long gone by the time I started playing but the seeds had been planted and then Frankie you know Frankie b- became a very close personal friend he, he became like you know my my big brother and um and a mentor and so being able to watch him play to hear his sets and to hear how he would lace things together and just play these really beautiful arrangements in the way that he DJ'd was an amazing training ground even when i didn't realize that that's what i was doing um but once i had started djing you know i definitely drew on on all the people that i that i was always inspired by like david morales um you know very talented when he plays like you know it's it's a thing when a dj is so talented like he would play one of my records and like my song desire when he would play desire I would be in awe listening to it, like, that's my record? Really? Like, he's played it in a way that it translates different for me. And I wrote the song. But it's like, you know, he knew how to take it and make it his own and bring out all these finer nuances in it. And that is such an amazing talent. And it's just not something that everybody can do. You know, um, DJs like Timmy registered. I still go to New York periodically when I can in between my schedule and just go dance and let the fool loose. <laughs> um, obviously, Wayne D- Wayne Davis in Baltimore, um, who is his his skill with execution is crazy, like technical execution is stunning, seamless always. And, and that's a whole different discipline. Um, I was also heavily influenced by Ted and Tommy of Basement Boys. I would say um, Paul Trouble Anderson, who I mentioned earlier from The Loft here in the UK. I danced many nights at The Loft, and he was such an exceptional talent in the way that he brought the soul to a record and just had the room sweating, the whole room sweating. (laughs) Um, I grew up on like Louis, Louis Vega, uh, DJs like Sam Burns from D.C., Um, Quentin Harris, um, yeah, I think for me, a lot of them created uh, the, the blueprints. You know, they all had their particular area. Some of them were extremely efficient at finessing the mix, you know, the technical precision was so beautiful that you would just, you know, scratch your head and just, you know, over the course of the night, just ascend to the heavens because their sets were so seamless in the ride and in the way that they would take you through the emotions and the hills and the valleys. And then others of that lot played like animals, you know, and just kind of like rack your body, like just... Leave you heaving on the dance floor. By the time it's all over, you're gonna be like, "Who? I just went through something." You know, it's like the different styles were were really impactful. And so, listening to them, they are they're all things that I draw from when I play. So I kind of play I play a little wild. When people ask me like what my style is, I always say well, I play a little wild because I'm going a lot of different places and I'm playing a lot of different styles of house within the, the the underground house music you know genre but i'd I like to play a, a little a little wild yes
1: <laughs> well
2: i can't wait to come to one of your sets soon
3: i would love it i would love it i come from the school of what we say in baltimore bang shangalang <laughs> i like it <laughs> a little bang shangalang so you know it's just so it's a bit of a cut yeah it's a vibe
2: Mm -hmm. Uh, I will be there well thank you so much I had so much fun talking about all the exciting things happening in the present
3: Uh, thank you yeah
2: next episode we will be talking about the future so see you guys soon
3: thanks for listening to I Am Paris
2: don't forget to follow us on Instagram at I Am Paris Podcast email us at paris at iheartradio.com be hot and subscribe now loves it